God, um, a book written, mind you, to encourage God's people. Now, he is going to challenge God's people in chapter 3 and, uh, and urge them to do what's right. Some weren't doing exactly the things that were right. But overall, the church at Thessalonica was a church that was uh, worth following and learning from and, and, and actually, if you would, um, patterning your life after. Because from the time they accepted Jesus Christ, even in persecution, they were living for God. They were doing what God wanted them to do. And, um, and they were a church that uh, was just practicing and living the Christian life. They're going to be encouraged to continue doing that. They're going to be encouraged in more things in chapter 3. But in chapter 2, Paul was dealing with an issue and some teaching that they had heard, things they had been taught in their church, yes, that were wrong. And they needed to know from the Word of God what the Bible has to say. And it deals with end times. Seems like a lot of messages recently have been dealing with that subject. Uh, but the book of First and Second Thessalonians both talk about the fact that Jesus is coming again. And he's going to set up a kingdom. In fact, uh, that's a wonderful day to look forward to because it's a kingdom where righteousness will rule. It's a kingdom where justice will be done. Aren't you glad for that? Uh, it's a kingdom where you won't have to worry about uh, churches uh, being told to close their doors because of COVID-19. Uh, you know, it's, it's a place where you won't have to wear masks. Uh, you know, isn't that, a, isn't that a good thing? All right. Well, I don't know. Maybe they will have them in that day. Who knows? All right. But I do know this. It won't be a problem to wear them if that's the case. And uh, our Lord will rule and reign on this earth. And the church at Thessalonica thought it was in their time. You know that? Over 2,000 years ago, and they thought it was in their time that they were in the day of Jesus Christ, that they were in the time, actually, of the tribulation period, <clears throat> and that will lead to the time when Jesus Christ will rule and reign. And they were concerned about that. I think you would be concerned, too, if you were told you were in the tribulation. You'd say, I, I feel like I am. I feel like I have been the last couple of months. Well, it's not near as bad as it's going to be, let me tell you. And I'm thankful that the Bible is really clear about the fact that believers will be caught away. They'll be caught up to be with the Lord before the tribulation period. But the church was taught that they were in it, and they were concerned. And so Paul straightens things out in chapter 2. So you're there. Follow along as I read, and we really kind of have to read the chapter. We preached the first part of it last week. But we've got to read it in order to get our minds into what's happening and what's going on. So Paul says, God tells us in 2 Thessalonians 2, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is uh, called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? And now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they, might all, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks all way to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, 
because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or by our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Father, I pray that you would help our hearts and our minds to be open to the truth of Scripture. And I pray that you would help your, those who are part of the family of God this morning to see their great need to live for God in the day in which we live. I pray that my words would be spoken under the influence and direction and, and the power of the Holy Spirit of God and that the Word of God would have its intended effect in our lives. May we be encouraged, may we be exhorted to do what is right in a day when that is so desperately needed. And I'll thank you for it. Father, we do ask for your wisdom. We pray that you would give understanding and use your word to touch hearts, whatever the need may be. In Jesus' name, amen. I came across a, a song. It was kind of interesting to me. I heard about it was one of the best love songs of World War I. The song was called Pack Up Your Troubles in Your Old Kit Bag and Smile, Smile, Smile. Now, uh, it just sounds like something you, you have to smile when you read the title. And by the way, that's a long title for a song, isn't it? The refrain goes something like this. What's the, I'm not singing it for you, sorry. But what's the use of worrying? It w never was worthwhile. So pack up your troubles in your old kit bag and smile, smile, smile. The melody was composed by uh, uh, Felix Powell. The words were written by his brother, George. The song was entered into a World War, World War I competition. Uh, in the, the area in which it was entered was the best moral building song, and it won first prize. In fact, the organizers of the event said this, it was perhaps the most optimistic song ever written. You know, it's like the don't worry, be happy song, you know, uh, and things like that. So that's the comments. That's what they were saying. Uh, in World War I about that song. You know what's ironic is that it was a war song to encourage people to smile, penned by George. You know George was opposed to war? He was. He, he was a pacifist. In fact, he later became a conscientious objector uh, when, I, I guess he was from England originally, uh, Britain imposed a draft in 1916, and he refused to go. In addition to that, Felix was a staff sergeant in the army. And he didn't share the enthusiasm of the song because years after, he took his, took his own life by putting on his uniform and rigging up a rifle to fire. Shot himself in the heart. So here are, are two men who write a song about smiling, being happy, who had nothing, at least in their lives, to be happy about. Now his song might have encouraged the world to smile, 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 but the words and music were only that. They didn't have the power to satisfy any needs of the heart. I am so thankful that God has written a book that is full of encouragement and comfort and gives us reason to smile. And the church at Thessalonica needed to smile a little bit. They needed some encouraging things. They needed an encouraging message. Well, why did they need an encouraging message? Well, we've already shared just a few moments ago before we prayed uh, one of the reasons why they needed encouragement, they were told they were in the tribulation period. And I don't know about you, but if you know anything about the tribulation period, that's not what you, a time you want to be in. That's not a time you want to be alive in because it's going to be a time of great wrath and judgment from the God of heaven upon this earth. It's going to be a time of great unrest in this earth amongst, amongst uh, human uh, mankind. Although there will be peace for the first half of it, it's still going to be a time of great judgment, and it's something that you wouldn't want to hear preached from the pulpit. We are in the tribulation period, people. And so they needed encouragement because they had heard those things, and Paul told them not to be shaken in mind. He told them, look, you can smile, people. 
You're not in the tribulation period. You just need to base your life on the word of God. There's another reason they needed a message that would encourage them to smile a little bit. You look in chapter 1 and verse 4 and you realize this, that these people were in persecution and they faced tribulation. They were enduring those things. Those things were coming their way on a regular basis. They started, the church started in persecution and tribulation. It continued in persecution and tribulation. And so these people needed a message that said, hey, there's hope, people. And chapter 2 of, Thessal- of the book of 2 Thessalonians is such a book. It really is going to encourage us today that we're not in the day of Christ right now. Well, we are. We are in the, the last days, if you would, but we are not in the, the time of tribulation that is being talked about in this passage because Jesus has not yet come again to take his church to be with him, talked about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And the church needed that message. They needed to hear what God had to say. So what have we already learned from this chapter? We learned last week that Jesus is coming again. Man, that is a wonderful truth. It's found in verse 1. And that there's going to be a gathering together. And I don't know about you, but I had reason to smile last week when I was thinking about the fact that there's people I'm going to look forward to seeing again. Uh, Last Sunday... After the service, we went and we had a funeral service uh, for, for Virginia. And, uh, and it was uh, sad to say words of farewell, if you would. Sad to think about the fact that in this life, we won't see Virginia again here at Spring Meadow uh, in her place, which is empty this morning, you know. And, uh, and those things I, I definitely will miss. But there is great hope for every believer in Jesus Christ. Because God said, Jesus is coming again, and when he comes, he'll catch us up to be with him, and there will be a gathering together of believers. Man, that's a reason to to smile. You know, it's hard to say goodbye. It's it's difficult to, to pack up those things, to sell them, to get rid of them, whatever you might do when someone passes away. But the hope and and the knowledge that if they're part of the family of God, you'll see them again and there will be a reunion someday is a great uh, hope-giving promise. And that's what we learned last week. We not only learned that truth, but we also learned there's a coming time of judgment in this world, verses 3 to 5. But here's the truth. It isn't right now. It's coming later on. And the truth is the church will be caught up and will be taken out before that time. And so those who are believers in Jesus Christ today don't have to worry about, if you would, the Antichrist. Don't have to worry about the mark of the beast. Don't have to worry about all those things you read in the book of Revelation. You say, I try to avoid the book of Revelation. I understand that because there's a lot of stuff in there that quite honestly, even Bible scholars don't fully understand and completely understand. But we do know this, it's going to be a day of terrible judgment. But believers don't have to worry about that. Something to smile about, right? And then we learned in verses 6 and 7 that, uh, uh, that there is someone who is holding things back. The mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And we mentioned the fact that there were a couple ideas about that, but, but we really believe, at least I believe, that the scriptures indicate uh, and, and that the point of, of this truth is, is that the Holy Spirit of God is here and he's present and he's working in the lives of believers today to give us something to smile about. Even though we face tough times, even though we've got a lot of decisions to make, even though things are going on that we don't necessarily love and appreciate, yet there's the Holy Spirit of God that daily gives us comfort and meets needs and he is restraining things in this world today. Do you know, I I hate to say this, but things would be a lot worse if we didn't have the Holy Spirit of God in this world working as he is today. In fact, that seems to be the indication of this passage. There's someone who's holding back. He's letting, he's holding things back until he's taken out of the way. He's not going to be, there's going to be millions of believers who are gone at the time of the tribulation period because God will catch away believers. And so that great influence of the Spirit of God, which is working in Christians, won't be here anymore. Now, the Spirit of God will still be working, but not in the same way as he is in this day. And, uh, and what a, a, a truth for Christians to know, that God's Spirit is working today. 
Today in verse 8, though, we have opportunity to look at another truth. And I want you to see, and this should make us all smile, the conqueror. Yes. Now you say, well, wait a second, Pastor. Starting in verse 8, we read about the wicked one being revealed. That's true. But you got to see it in light of the whole, in light of the context. He's not saying, oh, people, understand it's a dismal day. Be miserable because the wicked one's going to be revealed and he may be living today. All right, it wasn't one of those messages. It wasn't a message that was written to discourage the church, but to encourage them. You say, so what is the encouragement? Well, the encouragement was, we're not in the tribulation period. And the encouragement is that there is a wicked one who will be revealed, but get this, he is not going to be the winner. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm encouraged by that. So even if I were to live through the tribulation period, and I won't because the Bible is clear about the catching away of the church. The truth of the matter is, Jesus Christ, my Savior, is going to conquer the wicked one. You see, he will come to this earth and he will, will rule and reign. And although in verse, uh, in verse 8, he talks about the wicked one being revealed, notice what he says right after that whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all powers and signs and lying wonders. In other words, he can do amazing things and he will do amazing things. But let me tell you something, he is not greater than the one that I serve. The God that I serve will someday come to this earth and he will set up a kingdom and no one will stop him. And that is a day that every Christian should be able to smile about. The conqueror is going to come. It's not the wicked one. It is the Savior of all, Jesus the Christ. Yes, the wicked one will come, and he will rule after the church is raptured. Um, in fact, uh, he will come, and he will deceive the world like Satan has since the beginning of time. He will have great influence. He will possess power. In fact, it's no wonder, but they're going to believe that he's God. You, you remember that back in verse 4? He's going to be both the political and he will be the spiritual leader of this world. He will unite, if you would, both the, the, the religious world and the political world, and he will rule and people will think he is the greatest thing in the world, at least for the first half of the tribulation period. And then uh, he will turn on the Jews. There's so many things to be shared about that, but this passage doesn't deal with that because this passage wasn't focusing on the bad. This passage is focusing on the great truth that he is not bigger than my Lord. And in fact, Christian, don't you need to be reminded of that today? Look, Jesus Christ is the conqueror. He's the conqueror today. And by the way, his spirit is at work in this world today. And it's encouraging to know that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And that is the message of verse 8 and verse 9 and verse 10 and verse 11 and verse 12. That yes, there is coming a time when there will be a, a ruler in this world, a one world government, that, that this man will do wicked things and he will have great power and he, like Satan, will show himself to be God and he will be proclaimed as if he is God. But my Lord is bigger than him. And if he can conquer him, then he can conquer anything that I have to face in this life today. Um, I'll tell you, we've had a lot of things going on that can cause us to worry. You know, there, there's some, there have been a lot of decisions to make, haven't there? I mean, you know, simple things, but, but not so simple things. A lot of things we've been faced with that we would have never expected we'd be faced with just, what, eight months ago? Um, but I want you to know there's, there's someone in the heavens that's still in control. By the way, he, he is in control of what the wicked one will be able to do. And he will destroy the wicked one in his time. And today, you ought to be encouraged about that fact. Yes, the wicked one will come, but the wonderful one will conquer him. As the scriptures tell us, 
so clearly in this passage. Um, uh, the Lord will do what he has promised. Um, I, I'll tell you what, this may oversimplify things, but let me explain it this way. The point of uh, this section is like your favorite sports team going against their sworn enemy. Now, we won't mention teams this morning because I'll get myself in a little bit of trouble with some of my good friends here, which wouldn't think consider me friends afterwards. So we won't do that. But for the sake of illustration, let's imagine that there's a ball game taking place um, and you're not able to see it for some reason, so you record it. You, you, you put it on uh, so you can see it later on. Now, you hear, because no one will let you live with not knowing what happened. You hear that your team won. But maybe you also understand that your team was getting blown away at the beginning of the game. Maybe even throughout the whole game, and it was just in the last, you know, the last section, the last inning, or the last quarter, or whatever sports team that you're thinking about right now. Okay, that it was the, in the last few moments of the game that they just, in a flurry of activity and a flurry of great sports prowess, they win the game, and you know that. So you come and you sit down and you start watching the game. So what are you going to do? Well, you know, if you're an avid fan, you, you still probably might yell at your television a little bit as your team starts to blow it. You know, wow, what's wrong with you? You know, and you know, hey, um, can't you see? You know, you might be doing those things, but but there's something in the back of your mind you already know. And it kind of tempers things, doesn't it? It kind of makes things a little bit better. You say, yeah, I know things are looking bad, and man, man, our, my team's really blowing it, and they weren't playing well at all. But we know what's going to happen in the end. And that is always an encouragement, isn't it? I mean, you can come to the game, and you can think, man, there is no way. In fact, it might be halftime. You might be thinking, there's no way they're going to win this game. I can't believe they actually did, Right? And so knowing what's going to happen at the end makes a difference in how you live right now, how you handle watching the game, how you handle what's taking place and what you observe and what you see. And I like to picture this passage kind of that way because when you get to the end of the game and your team starts to do some amazing things, you know, they're just, I mean, everything is just clicking and you see them working and you're like screaming and hollering again at your TV positive things this time because of what you see. And it comes to the end of the game, you say, man, our team won. All right, uh, look, it's great to know it that at the end of the game, the good guys win, isn't it? And that's what our passage reminds us of in these verses. Yes, there is coming a, a terrible day of judgment upon this earth. But I'll tell you what, in the end, the good guys win. Jesus the Christ the wonderful conqueror of all will set up a kingdom and this world will run for a thousand years in justice and righteousness and peace because we're on the winning team. And although it may sound rather simplistic, that truth is brought out very powerfully in verse 8 and it carries through all the way through verse 12. But what a wonderful truth. By the way, I've heard this passage preached before, talking, and, and I, in fact, I, I read a lot of commentators, and a lot of commentators take all sorts of time in verses 10 and 11 and talk about how lost people will be sent a strong delusion and they'll be, believe a lie, and uh, that they might be damned who believe not the, the truth of the gospel. In fact, I used to hear preaching uh, as, as a kid, uh, you know, great um, a prophecy preaching that was done all the time and they would tell people who were lost, you need to accept Christ today because you will believe a lie during the tribulation period and you need to receive him before Christ comes again. I don't have a problem with a message like that, but this passage wasn't written to turn lost people to Christ. It was written to encourage believers. So what is the encouragement for beliefs? I just don't have to worry about those things. Will God send a strong delusion that they'll believe a lie? Well, you know what? That's what the Bible says. Does that mean that someone who's heard the gospel won't possibly be able to be saved after Jesus comes again? You know what? I'm not worried about that. I, I'm not going to be there. Nor am I going to try to twist someone's arm to make a decision they're not ready to make because, because they're afraid that they won't be able to make that decision afterwards. What I would say is this, 
If you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't know you're on your way to heaven, it is. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Not just because when Jesus Christ comes again, there's going to be a time when people are going to be duped and will follow this leader and that God will actually help them and aid them in that. But you need him because you need him for eternal life. And there is a hell. There is an eternal lake of fire that those who are not part of the family of God will face. The Bible is clear about that. The Bible is clear that all men are headed to that place because all men are sinners. But the Bible is also clear that there is a loving God, the one who conquered death, Jesus Christ, who came to this world to provide a way so all men could be saved and part of the family of God and have a home in heaven. And that God who loved you sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And if you'll trust him, he'll give you eternal life. Then you don't have to worry about what is talked about in verses 11 and 12. You don't have to worry about being condemned. You don't have to worry about God um, just taking you from where you already were, which was this, someone who is disobedient, a sinner, and, and just helping continue you in that path. You see... You need Jesus Christ today because you need eternal life. Not because Jesus is coming again. Not because people will be deceived, but because you need eternal life. And God offers it as a gift. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Doesn't come through being part of a church. Doesn't come by being a good person. Doesn't come by being baptized. Doesn't come by doing good moral things in life. Salvation comes by receiving Jesus Christ. John said it well, he that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. He even shared in John chapter 3 that the wrath of God abides on someone that doesn't have Christ, but you can be saved today. And I would urge you to do that because these things will indeed happen someday. But the message is to believers. And the message is, Jesus is coming again, the conqueror, and he will defeat this wicked one. Now, notice if you would, by the way, there's some more encouragement as well. Look in verse 12, because after he deals with those who will have that strong delusion and believe a lie that they might be damned who believe not, notice what he says in verse 13 to encourage the church. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. And here's the idea. You folks believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, God gave you his Holy Spirit who came in and sanctified you. Yes, he did. He made you as if you are completely holy before God. That's an amazing thing. A sinner whose sins are washed away. That's what the Spirit of God did for you. And he's encouraging them to say this. Hey, look, God's chosen you salvation. You don't have to worry about the Antichrist. You don't have to worry about the delusion that's going to come on unbelievers. You don't have to worry about all those other things because God has already taken care of your eternal life, your eternity. He sanctified you by the Spirit of God when you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You're part of his family. And you have a home in heaven to look forward to someday. Jesus is coming again. The conqueror is going to come and take you away from this. So you don't have to sweat all these things out. You can rejoice today. You can actually smile. You have a reason to, you do have a reason to smile this morning. That's good. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. But the reason is not because you have taken care of things yourself. It's because there's a great God in heaven who's provided a way of salvation. And when you believed, he took care of it. What a, what a great truth. Whereunto he called you in verse 14 by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we're going to obtain, this is an amazing thing, the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ someday. All right, so now look at what else he shares with us because he closes this portion of, this, of the book and he shares a few things with the church they need to know. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or by epistle. So now we have the command. We have the conqueror described to us and what he has done and how he's provided and taken care of everything so that we can smile. 
But now we have a command uh, or a call, however you want to put it, that would be fine. And the call is for believers to stand fast. It means keep on, persevere, keep going for God. You know, sometimes you get discouraged. I know it. I've been there. I, I sometimes get there in my Christian life. I, yes, I do. You get discouraged sometimes. You know, you, you kind of look at all that's going on in the world. You, you look at the things that are happening. I, I don't know about you, but it's really frustrating to hear about churches that have, you know, things put on their door. It's just, it makes you angry, you know, and you get frustrated about things and discouraged on things. And what God says is, look, I'm the conqueror, so live for me. All right, stand fast. Come on, people, keep on keeping on. There is a life to be lived for God. And yes, there are discouraging things that are going to come in life. And, I, I mean, I don't want to discourage you anymore. There may be more things coming down the road. We have no idea. Who knows what's going to happen after the election? You know, who knows what's going to take place in, in the United States or in the world, for that matter, in the coming days? We don't have any control of tomorrow, but we know the one who holds tomorrow. And the one who holds tomorrow says, keep living for me today. Stand fast. That is the command. That is the call that every Christian has. And listen, in this day, we need this message all the more. Stand fast. Keep on keeping on. Press on. I don't care how you want to put it. There are so many different ways the scriptures talk about it. Paul said, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So many different writers in the New Testament encourage this very same thing. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. Keep on. Persevere. Keep living for God. There are too many Christians who are controlled by what's going on in the world when God says, just keep living for me. I, I look at this church, and I read chapter 1 and verse 4. I read chapter 2 and the concern they had with these things that they had heard in the church by people who were teaching the wrong things. And I, I see how they could be really frustrated, and they just needed to be encouraged with the message, keep on, people. So look, maybe you're there today. Maybe you've been discouraged. Maybe your Christian life hasn't been what it needs to be. Then, then look, it's time to just get back to living the Christian life like God wants you to live. So you've gotten discouraged. You stopped going to church. Well, you haven't stopped going to church because you're here today, and that's good. Keep on. You stop reading your Bible. Get back to it. You stop praying. Get back to it. You stop witnessing. Get back to it. Because there is a Lord who's coming again. And there are people who need to be one, and there's a Christian life for you to live because there's a Lord who's going to reward you someday, the conqueror. And so live for him today. Make your life count. That is the stirring message, the stirring conclusion, if you would, of all of this. If there's anything you get this morning, it's this. Keep on. The command is stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or by this epistle. Um, Charlton Heston played a lead role in the acclaimed movie Ben-Hur. In the movie, Heston was told he wouldn't only have to ride in a chariot, which petrified him, but he was going to have to win the race. They tell us he was concerned about his ability not to, he figured, you know, I can maybe stay in this thing and I can stay in the chariot. I won't fall off. I won't kill myself or anything else. But he was concerned enough that he went to the director and he says, I don't know if I can win this race. And here's what the director told Heston. He said, your job is to stay on the chariot. It's my job to make sure you win. Isn't that great? Isn't that, isn't that great? All right, so too for us. We are to just do what God has asked us to do and leave the winning up to him. That's the message of this passage. Okay, get in the chariot, stay in the chariot, do your job, and let the Lord take care of the rest. That's for 15. Hey, let me ask you, Christian, have, has the smile been wiped off your face by all the things that are going on in your life right now? Then, then it's time, really, to let God put the smile back in your, in your life by getting back to walking with your Lord in tune with him, in fellowship with him, 
and enjoying the help that he has readily to offer you. I know things have been discouraging. I know there have been a lot of things we've had to face we've never had to face before. But I know that I serve the King of Kings and that what God has called me to do is just keep on keeping on for him. So the things I've been taught in the word, I need to get back to. And if you've dropped those things off, if they've kind of gone by the wayside, if you've fallen out of the chariot, it's time to get back in and let the Lord take care of the winning. And you just keep on keeping on. Isn't that an important message? And it's a message the church needed. And quite honestly, it's a message the church still needs today. So stand fast and keep the precepts. Keep the, keep the things that God has shared and told you to do. He says, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught. By the way, this is important to say. It's whether by word or by epistle. In other words, the things that we have told you by word or the things that we've written to you in epistles. All right, what Paul was telling them is not, you don't follow the traditions of the church. There, there is a certain church that tells us that the traditions are right and their traditions are what are to be followed. That is not at all what Paul was saying. When he was using the word traditions here, he was talking about precepts. He was talking about Bible truth. Paul had told them Bible truth. He had told them in word. He had written to them in epistle what things they needed to know that God wanted them to know. This chapter was all about that, and here's what he was saying. Just follow the Bible. That's what standing fast is all about. It's getting your Bible out. It's finding out what God has to say about every situation in life and what he wants you to be doing right now, and get to it and do it. So the basic things we talk about, reading your Bible and praying and being a witness for Jesus Christ, those things you need to do. Living a holy life and living a separated life from sin is what you need to do as a Christian. Just get in the chariot and get going and let God worry about the winning. He'll take care of it in the end. All right, just do what you're supposed to do. Get your Bible out, find out what God would have for you and follow it. So you're battling with and you're, you're, you're struggling with some of the decisions that you have to make in regard to what are we going to do with the kids in schooling? You know, that's a big problem some people are facing. And how are we going to handle this? And, and how are we going to, maybe you got some medical things. You say, what am I going to do about this? And what decision do I need to make here? Just take your Bible and follow it. And keep on and stand fast and follow the precepts of the Word of God. And let me tell you, the Bible won't lead you wrong. The Bible has answers for life. So get in the book and follow it. And I'll tell you, when you live that way, then you'll find that God gives you strength and gives you help because his spirit has been, is there to aid you. And if you would, to give you that smile that, that sometimes can be wiped off the face by the troubles of life. So keep the precepts. Get in the word, follow the word, and do what God has said. And then I want you to see in verses 16 and 17, the comfort. We have the conqueror. We have the challenge or the call. And we close this chapter with the comfort. I, these verses really uh, could be a message in themselves. But the truth is, really, one word could probably be a message in itself. Because you know how I like to take a lot of time on things. But verses 16 and 17 are rich. Look at what he says. Listen to these words carefully. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. By the way, um, the idea is that God will help you to do the things that are right if you'll take the step to do it and to do it. But let's look at these verses and just spend a little bit of time. First thing I want you to see is verse 16 actually is looking back or is looking at the present time. Back and present, kind of the whole idea. And here's the picture of verse 16. God has already done these things. Now our Lord himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts. Verse 16 is looking back. This is what God has done or actually is doing. Both of those things are true. 
Verse 17 is, this is what I believe God will do and I can count on him to do in the future. And so there is comfort both in knowing what God has done and encouragement to know and comfort in knowing what God will do and what I can count him to do in the days ahead. So I want you to see some of the things God has already done for you if you're part of his family. What are some of the things? We'll look at the passage. What has God personally done? Uh, well, actually, before we even get there, notice this. He says, notice, uh, now our Lord Jesus Christ and God, even our Father. He really seeks to emphasize this idea. This is what God has done for you as a Christian. You could say, this is about me, these verses. This is what God has done for me. God has given me the privilege and the blessing of being part of his family by faith in Jesus Christ. Not anything I could have done. God did it for me. And God's spirit sanctified me, gave me eternal life. God gave me eternal life. I'm part of his family now. And not only am I part of his family, but man, has God been working in my life on a daily basis. That's what every Christian can say. By the way, that's what, another reason why you need him if you're not part of his family today. You're missing out on all that God has for you. Well, what did he do? Notice what the Lord Jesus Christ himself, I like that as well. It's that God is actively involved in my life. Do you notice a Christian, God is actively involved in your life? He is. Daily, God is involved in your life. Christ himself has done this, he says. And even our Father himself, that's the idea of this verse, is actively and has done these things and will do these things. So what has he done? He saved you. He saved you. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which has loved us and has given us everlasting consolation, he saved us. The point was made back in chapter 1 and verse 1 when he said, we are in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That is how the scriptures picture those who are saved, that God the Father takes the, the, the person that believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, holds him in his hand, that God the Son as well, that they both hold the believer in their hands. God has saved me. And by the way, when someone says, I don't know if I'm going to heaven, I don't know if I'm part of the family of God, the, the, the person that says that, uh, and I've even heard, I even know there's, there's what, preachers who have said those things. If you don't know that you're saved, then you don't understand the Bible. The Bible says you can know you have eternal life. And the Bible gives that picture over and over because it's no comfort to someone if you don't know you have eternal life. But it's a wonderful comfort to know the Son holds you, the Father holds you, you're in His hands, and nothing can remove you from Him. And that is the picture He gives us. And He says, God loved you so much. He has saved your soul. He's given you eternal life. You are His Father. I, I, he is your Father and you are his son, and the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father both have been involved in saving your soul. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. What an amazing truth. And that's brought out here to, if you would, put a smile on the face of these believers who were hearing bad preaching at their church and who were also facing tribulation and persecution from outside the church. So they got it going on all around them, and they got problems in the church, they got problems outside of the church, and they just needed God's help, and they needed to be reminded, now you're saved. No one can ever take that away from you. You're his. It's not your goodness, it's not your effort that provides it, but it's God. But as many as received him to them, gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Not only are you saved by the Father, but notice he says you're loved by the Father. Another precious truth. In a passage dealing with a dismal condition about how men are dead in trespasses and sins, the Bible says this in Ephesians 2, 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he hath loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace, ye are saved. Look, God loved you when you were a sinner, condemned, facing eternity in a lake of fire. 
saved your soul. You have eternal life. And you are loved by God. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You need to remember that. But those those verses are precious to express what God already has done. Can I share with you, and would you just take a moment, turn to Romans 8, would you? I want you to see it. It's a familiar passage, but just take a moment if you would. Sometimes you just need to put a smile on your face and be reminded of wonderful truth. And the truth is, God loves you. He loved you enough to send his son to die for you. He loved you enough to save your soul. But he not only did he love you enough to save your soul, he loves you right now, this very moment. And that's what's brought out in this passage. Look in verse 35 of Romans chapter 8. He said, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who? Who will? Well, he wants to answer that question, so let's ask. Uh, Some more, shall tribulation, shall distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Look, those are all sorts of problems that someone might face in life. You lose your home, lose your job, uh, threat of war. Uh, There are a lot of things that can come. COVID-19, well, that wasn't in the list there, all right? But here's the question, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? And the answer is, you could put anything in that list, and none of it has the ability to remove God's love from you. Do you not find that encouraging? Look at what he says. As it is written, verse 36, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. That sounds like it's pretty, pretty bad, right? I mean, all day they were counted as sheep for the slaughter. That, that's not a positive thing, let me tell you. But here's the truth. Nay, in all these things, even even if death comes, in all these things, we're more than conquerors. You know why? Here's why. Because God loves you. Right now, this very moment, God loves you. If you're here and you're lost, you've never trusted Christ as Savior, God loves you and he wants to save you. If you're part of his family, God loves you and he'll love you tomorrow and he'll love you all the way through The portal of death, whatever may come your way, he'll keep loving you every day, no matter how bad things are. And Paul concludes by saying, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I I don't care what comes tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen a a year down the road. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But I do know this. I know that God will love me tomorrow. And if I'm still alive 10 years from now, God will love me then. And if I still am living 30 years down the road, which kind of would be hard to believe. But if I'm living 30 years down the road, God will still love me then. And if everything in this world falls apart and and like our nation is is taken over and and we're coming close to what we would think would be the one world government, all right, it doesn't matter. God will still love me. And that is the wonderful truth that ought to put a smile on every Christian's face no matter what's going on. And he was confident of that fact. God, our Father, he has loved us. He will love us. And then, if we go back to our passage, he's given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. He's given us perpetual comfort. That's the idea of everlasting consolation. It's referring to the fact, someone said, that believers have eternal life. That could be true. But you know, it's also, it seems to be from this text, is that God is the one who continually comforts in life. Continually. Um, All the time. Doesn't matter. God is continually bringing comfort in every storm of life. And then notice verse 16, he's also given us good hope. 
through grace. Hope is a gift from God to undeserving sinners. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I have the hope of eternal life by grace. God placed me into his family. I didn't deserve it. I never could deserve it. That's what God did. I, I came across an old Dennis the Menace cartoon, and Dennis and Joey, they're coming out of Mrs. Wilson's house, and their hands are full of cookies. And Joey looks at Dennis, and he says, I wonder what we did to deserve this. And Dennis answers, he said, look, Joey, Mrs. Wilson gives us cookies not because we're nice, but because she's nice. God gives us hope of eternal life because, not because we're nice, but because God is nice. Because God is gracious. Someone has said, your worst days are never so bad, you're beyond the reach of God's grace, and your best days are never so good, you're beyond the need of God's grace. And in each situation, God has grace to give. Verse 17 is God will. And God, what will God do? Look, look at what he, he says. Here's what he, he, if you would, praise. But although that it's not said specifically, he was praying. Seems to be that was his desire. And here's, here's what he said. He was praying that God would comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. So two things that God will do, and you can count on this. God will comfort you tomorrow. He will. I don't know what tests are coming tomorrow. I don't know what tests are coming later today for you. But I do know this. If you're part of his family, he's provided and promised comfort. And you can count on that because he loves you. So you can count on his comfort for tomorrow. And not only that, but you can also count on his helping you grow, even in difficulty. Now, I don't know about you. But 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 gives you a lot of things to smile about and rejoice in because it talks about a God who's in control, who loves you, who loved you and who loves you and who will continue to meet your every need. We're on the winning team. That's already decided. But I need his help now. And that's the kind of God I serve. And may you, as a believer, rejoice in that. Hey, Christian, if you've gotten away from serving God, you've gotten away from living the kind of life you should live, get back to it. Stand fast because the conquering Lord will do what he said. And it's worth living. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.